0: Shema Yisrael Yahweh Eloheinu Yahweh Echad. Let me say that again because I'm not sure you understood me. And maybe this will help you if I put the words on the screen. Shema Yisrael Yahweh Eloheinu Yahweh Echad. What is that? What did I just say? Did I just speak in tongues? Well, sort of. That was Hebrew. That was Deuteronomy 6.4 in Hebrew. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. That's going to be our text this morning, so turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 6. This verse is called the Shema because the first word is Shema, which in Hebrew means here. The Shema is the centerpiece of morning and evening prayers among Judaism. And it's an affirmation of the singularity of God. That God is one. And that's what we'll be looking at today in our series, Undomesticated, as we are looking at the undomesticated attributes of God. Today we are going to cannonball into the deep end of God's attributes. We are going to be looking at God's simplicity. Now, that, of course, does not sound like deep-end theology, but it is, as we will see. God is simple. But what does that even mean? What do I mean when I refer to God's simplicity? What does it mean that God is simple, that it is one of his undomesticated attributes? I'll let theologian Gerald Bray introduce you to the concept of divine simplicity. He says, The most fundamental attribute of God's being is its simplicity. God is simple in the sense in which the word is used in chemistry. His nature is not compounded of different elements. An analogy with water may help us understand what this means and why it matters. Water is a compound substance made up of hydrogen and oxygen, and it can be separated into its component parts. God is not a compound. If he were, he could not be the ultimate being. His parts would all be logically prior to him. Presumably, there would also have to be some force that produced God out of those different parts, and that force would also be a greater being than the resulting God is. Therefore, we have to say that God is simple. He is what he is, and that is all there is to it. God is simple. He is not made up of parts. He is what he is. He is his attributes. That's what we mean by divine simplicity. God is his attributes. And because God is simple, that means that God will never stop being all that he is for you. God will never stop being all that he is for you. He will never stop being God. God will always be God and he will always be who he is for you. He will always be your heavenly father. Jesus will always be your big brother and faithful high priest. And the Holy Spirit will always be your helper and comforter. God's simplicity means that because God is love, God will always love you no matter what you do. Listen, there is nothing, there is nothing that you can ever do to make God stop loving you. He will never stop loving you because he is simple. He is what he is. And that's the comforting truth of divine simplicity. All that God is, is all that he will be for us forever. God will never cease to be any of his attributes. Which means we can trust him. We will never wake up to find, especially on Time Change Sunday, we will never wake up to find that God lost one of his attributes. Like his love, for instance. God will never stop loving us as Psalm 100 says. We read it earlier. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 100 is telling us about God's simplicity. He is good. God will never not be good. And his love endures forever because he himself endures forever. So God will never not be love. Now, you may have never heard of simplicity before, this undomesticated attribute of God that we're looking at today, but it's something that has been a part of the church's theology throughout church history. Theologians and pastors of the past have always talked about God's simplicity but it's fallen on hard times in recent years. Some theologians even think that simplicity is not an attribute of God. Well, I beg to differ. And I beg to differ with the likes of Augustine and Anselm and Thomas Aquinas and Irenaeus and Basil the Great and Stephen Charnock and Herman Bovink and Francis Turton and R.C. Sproul and Sinclair Ferguson to name a few. And though the phrase simplicity is never used in Scripture, we can deduce that it is true of God. In the same way that the words Trinity and Trinitarian never appear in Scripture, we know and we deduce from God's Word that God is Trinity. And even though Scripture never states explicitly this Christological phrase, that Jesus is 100% God, 100% man, with those two natures united in one person, we know, we deduce from God's word that that is true. And the creeds that we have in church history show us that. And the same is true with divine simplicity. Though never explicitly stated in scripture, we know that simplicity is implicitly taught in God's word. And one verse that highlights this is the Shema. So turn to Deuteronomy 6. We'll read it again. Moses is calling on the nation of Israel to learn about the God who rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And one of the very first things that he says about Yahweh is that he is one. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear, O Israel. Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. The idea here behind the Hebrew word one, echad, is that God is alone. He is unique. He is solitary. There is a singularity to the Trinitarian God. But there is also implicit in this verse the idea of God's simplicity. He is one. He has one essence, one nature. He is not made up of parts. He is simple. And as Christians, we praise and worship the Trinity, but our praise and worship is also praise and worship of the one true God. And in Deuteronomy 6, Moses is proclaiming God's oneness, and then he calls on Israel to acknowledge Yahweh's singular worth by loving him with all their heart, soul, and might. And this is not just an Old Testament thing. Jesus himself quotes and affirms God's oneness as the most important commandment of all. From Mark 12, 28 to 30. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6 where Moses was teaching the nation of Israel that God is not made up of parts, that he is one, that he is simple. And when we say that God is simple, we do not mean how that word is sometimes used. We are not saying that God is slow or that God is dim-witted. And we also don't mean that God is easy to understand. In fact, the understatement of the year is that the doctrine of divine simplicity is not so simple. God is simple, but he is not easily and he is certainly not fully comprehended. Divine simplicity simply means that God is not made up of his attributes It means that he does not consist of his goodness, mercy, justice, knowledge, power. He is those things. He is not made up of those things. God is not made up of parts. He is who he is. In other words, every attribute of God is his very essence. The Belgic Confession, maybe you were reading that this week, I don't know. Written in 1561, starts off affirming the simplicity of God. It says, we all believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that there is a single and simple spiritual being whom we call God. Notice the phrase, we all believe in our hearts. This is affection, affection. This involves the heart. The Belgic Confession with its dense and deep and robust theology starts off by stressing the affections of the human heart. That means that if you like your theology and you like your doctrine all stiff and rigid with a lot of fabric starch and no joy, and no dancing, and no laughter, and no happiness, and you are afraid to get all the feels when you study theology, then you won't like the Belgic Confession, one of the oldest Reformed doctrinal standards. The Belgic Confession starts off by saying that we believe in our hearts. In other words, we get all the feels when we confess that there is one Single and simple spiritual being whom we call God. In the Belgic Confession, simplicity gets to ride shotgun. One of the first things it teaches us is that God is simple. And this is important because it keeps us from chopping God up into parts Simplicity teaches us that God cannot be divided up into his attributes. And that means that there are no greater or lesser attributes of God. No attribute of God gets the number one spot. There are no attributes of God that are greater than the others. He simply is. Now, some people think that God's holiness is the number one priority. I'm sure many Christians think that way. They believe that God's holiness ranks at the top of his attributes. And they talk and they preach like God's holiness is the most important thing about him. And they get that probably from reading Isaiah 6, where God's holiness is stressed. But tell me, in Isaiah 6, are all of the other attributes of God not there? They're there. And then there are others who think that God's love takes top priority over everything else. Love is all, man. Love. God is love. But God is not divided up into his attributes so that one attribute takes precedence over the others. Divine simplicity means that God is not made up of parts. He is not made up of his attributes. All that is in God is God. And that is simplicity. Divine simplicity means that whatever we say about God applies to the totality of his being. Whatever we say about God applies to all that he is. And that means that we just can't highlight the love of God as being his most important or dominant attribute. Yes, God is love. John tells us that in 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. But this does not mean that the true essence of God is first and foremost love, to the exclusion of the other attributes. As if God's omnipotence and omnipresence must take a back seat to God's love. If we do this then we are imagining god as a compound being made up of parts but god is not a compound being made up of parts yes god is love but scripture also says that god is other things too first john 1:5 god is light john 4:24 god is spirit hebrews 12:29 god is a consuming fire 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful. You might want to tuck 1 Corinthians nine into your heart this morning with whatever's going on in your life that you're stressed about. God is faithful. It's who he has always been. It's who he will always be. It's who he is for you right now, today, on Time Change Sunday. He is faithful. So the doctrine of divine simplicity keeps us from ranking certain attributes higher than others as if God's love were higher than his omnipotence. And that's how some people imagine God. They're like, God is made up of 85% love, 3% holiness, 2% omnipotence, 1% aseity, etc., etc. And then some people go the other way and they say, God is 85% holy and you better watch yourself. And he's 3% love and 2% omnipotence and 1% aseity, et cetera, et cetera. And on and on they go, ranking his attributes as if one attribute were greater than another. This is why we need the doctrine of simplicity. It keeps us from stressing one attribute of God over and against another. And we see this with many mainline liberal churches and denominations. They stress God's love to the exclusion of his holiness and his justice. So simplicity teaches us that no one attribute of God is more the essence of God than some other attribute. Let me say that again. Simplicity teaches us that no one attribute of God is more the essence of God than some other attribute. So it is false to say that part of God is loving, part of God is holy, and part of God is just. But it is true to say that God in his essence is love. And God in his essence is just. And God in in his essence is wise. But we have to understand that These are not just things that God has. They are who he is in his essence, in his nature. So God's love is not more important than his holiness or his justice or his omniscience or his aseity. Simplicity teaches us that God is his attributes. Which is why it's better to say that God is love... Than to say God has love. It's better to say that God is power. Than to say that God has power. Simplicity teaches us that God is not a compound of his attributes. He is his attributes. He is without parts. As the Westminster Confession of Faith states. There is but one only living and true God who is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions. And then Article 1 of the 39 articles, which was written in 1572, says the same thing. There is but one living and true God, everlasting, without body, parts, or passions. So we're going to talk in a few weeks what it means that God is without passions. So we're going to table that for another sermon But a quick note here, when these confessions state that God is without body, this does not mean that Jesus didn't have a body or doesn't have a body now because he has a resurrected body right now. But they're saying that God's Trinitarian essence, his very nature is not composed of a body with parts. So think of it this way. God is not like a Lego Star Wars Death Star, okay? God doesn't have different pieces that make up who he is. God doesn't have 3,803 parts that all come together to make up who he is. He doesn't have parts or pieces or bricks that make up who he is as if he were a Lego toy. He doesn't have Lego-like attributes that come together and then suddenly you have God. So it's important to remember that when we discuss the undomesticated attributes of God, we are not taking each attribute and then building God until we are happy that we have a complete set of who he is. That's how some people do God. They they make God the way they want him to be and then they sit there and they smile. I'm happy with the God that I've created. Didn't like these pieces. I know the manual said put them together, but you know what? I didn't like them, so I just left. I like what I have here. This is God. I like it. We don't piece God together brick by brick, attribute by attribute. He is who he is. We don't make him anything. It would behoove us to listen to what Ralph Davis says. Do we worship our conceptions of God or God? God is free to be who he is or do I make him my prisoner, subject to what I think he should be? A Christian must keep asking himself, am I worshiping the God of the Bible or only God as I think of him? Divine simplicity keeps us from piecing God together the way we want, as if he were the Lego Death Star. He is who he is, and we don't get a say in that at all. Simplicity teaches us that all that is in God is God. He has no parts that are exchangeable depending on his mood or depending on the situation. This is why the doctrine of simplicity is important. We just read in Psalm 100, the Lord is good. Imagine that goodness is something that God has rather than something that God is. If that were true, then goodness would be this independently existing abstract property that God could lose or cease to have. And trust me, we do not want a God who can lose his goodness. This is why divine simplicity is needed. In fact, there is no security or assurance in the Christian life without simplicity. God is good. God is faithful. God is love. And these attributes are who he is. And that is good news, y'all. Otherwise, how could we trust a God who might lose an attribute? If God were a compound being made up of parts, he would be dependent on those parts to be who he is. But how could we trust the God who was dependent on parts? We couldn't. We'd have no assurance in the Christian life. We'd have no security in the Christian life. But divine simplicity gives us assurance, and it gives us security. It reminds us that God will never stop being all that he is for you. God is love, and he will always love you. God is powerful, and he will always yield his power on your behalf. All that God is, he will be for you forever. God is simply is. God is for you forever. But understand this, God does not have attributes in the way that we have attributes. We all possess specific attributes or qualities such as wisdom or curly hair that are metaphysically distinct from ourselves. So we can grow in wisdom, we can even decrease in wisdom, or maybe for some people here, we can lack wisdom altogether yet we still remain who we are. Whether we increase in wisdom, lose wisdom, or lack wisdom completely, we are still who we are. We can try to straighten our curly hair, and we may fail or succeed at that, or we might even go bald. But whatever happens with our hair, we are still who we are. I am always me. To be Benji Magnus is to have curly brown hair. To be Benji Magnus is to hate the devil and to hate mayonnaise. Not necessarily in that order sometimes. But there are probably some Benjis out there in the world with straight black hair who love mayonnaise. So to be Benji might look different depending on the Benji, but not so with God. God is identical with his perfections and his attributes. Who God is and what God is are identical. He is who he is. And God's attributes cannot be separated from one another any more than they can be separated from God himself. You can't separate God's attributes from one another. So God's justice is never exercised apart from his love and goodness. And so on and so on. But you may be thinking, what about the three persons of the Trinity? Are they parts of God himself? Answer, no. The three persons of the Trinity should not be considered the three parts of the Trinity as if each person was one third of God and when added together, somehow they compose God as a whole being. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are not parts of the one God. Each person is the one God in all his fullness. The Father is the one God in all his fullness. The Son is the one God in all his fullness. The Spirit is the one God in all his fullness. Each person of the Trinity is identical with the one God in all his fullness. Francis Churiton describes it like this. Simplicity in respect to essence, but Trinity in respect to Persons. The essence and nature of God is simple. But in respect to the persons, God is Trinity. Trinity has no parts. So there is nothing that the Father is that the Son and the Spirit are not, except for being the Father. And there is nothing that the Son of God is that the Father and the Spirit of God are not, except for being the Son. And there is nothing that the Spirit is that the Father and the Son are not, except for being the Spirit. Each person is equally and identically the one true and living God. And the only real distinctions between the persons of the Trinity are their relations to each other. They have distinct but harmonious offices. As our own affirmation of faith here at Grace states, we believe that there is one living and true God Eternally existing in three persons that these are equal in every divine perfection and that they execute distinct but harmonious offices in the work of creation providence and redemption so how can God be simple and without parts if he is triune do the three persons of the Godhead make up the actual parts of God the answer is no the three persons of the Trinity are just that, persons, not parts. Matthew Barrett says, The Trinity is not made up of three parts called Father, Son, and Spirit, but the Trinity is three persons. Each person does not possess part of the divinity, one-third each, nor does each person make up a part of God, as if, as if you must add up the persons to end up with the total essence of God. Instead, Each person equally and fully shares the one undivided essence and the one divine essence wholly subsists in each of the three persons. And since God's essence and attributes are identical, God is his attributes, each person wholly shares every attribute. So God's essence is not split into three different things, but each person Holy subsist in three distinguishable yet inseparable persons. As our affirmation of faith states, they're equal in divine perfection and they execute distinct but harmonious offices in the work of creation, providence, and redemption. So while the doctrine of divine simplicity is not simple, It's not a simple idea or thing to be grasped. It is comforting. God's simplicity comforts us because he is love. So he will never be wishy-washy with us based on our obedience or based on our behavior. God will never be like, I love them, I love them not. I love them, I love them not. And trust me, you've given God plenty of reasons for him to say, I love them not. But he doesn't do that. Because he is love. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And that might be just enough to get you through this week. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. So, divine simplicity can comfort you because it reminds you that God will never stop being all that he is for you. Because God is love. God will always love you no matter what you do. So there is nothing that you can ever, 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 ever do to make God stop loving you because God is simple. He will never stop loving you because he is simple. You never need fear that you wake up one day to find that he has lost one of his attributes. You get all of God For all of eternity. That's why Jesus came to live and die in our place. That we might get God. As Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. That he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh. But made alive in the spirit. Jesus died that he might bring us to God, to all that God is. Jesus died that he might bring us to all of God's attributes, which is God. He died that he might bring us to all that is in God, love, mercy, justice, wisdom, faithfulness, light, knowledge, power, et cetera, et cetera. Scott Swain says, God's identity as the final hope of his people, their supreme blessing and reward, is further illumined and underlined by the doctrine of divine simplicity. The supreme goods that God has promised us in Christ are not finally divisible from God himself. The true food for which the human soul hungers, the true drink for which the Human soul thirst is not merely something that God gives. It is something that God himself is. Our souls long for the living God. He is the bread of life, the soul's true food, the soul's true drink. The one and simple God, the final cause of all creatures, is himself the soul's reward. In other words, we don't come to God just for the benefits. We come to God to have God, all that he is for us in his son. Your soul's true f- food, what you really hunger for, your soul's true drink, what you are really thirsty for, is available to you today for free. No cover charge No cost whatsoever. You just simply open up the empty hands of faith and you receive all that is God. You have these little empty hands of faith and what gets put in them when you look to Christ? All that is in God. (sighs) Amazing. The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, in His faithfulness to all generations. Today, the Spirit is calling you to taste and see that the Lord is good. To taste, to drink, and be satisfied. Do you ever have those times where you just you're so thirsty? You take a drink, and the only resp- the only appropriate response when you're really thirsty after having a drink is this. Watch. You ever do that? That's what the Spirit wants you to do today with the gospel. To drink in all of God's goodness to you and his son. To just drink it in and drink it in and drink it in. you got to stop and breathe at some point and you go, Ah, that's coming to Jesus to be satisfied. To taste and see that the Lord is good. The Lord is good. You might want to tuck those four words into your heart today. The Lord is good. Your circumstances might not be good. What's happening in your life may not be good. What's happening in your family may not be good. But the one ballast that you need today are those four words. The Lord is good. He is simple. He will never not be good. I think we should just stop there. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for all that you are for us. Thank you for your life, your death, your resurrection, your ascension. Your coronation as king, our high priest who's coming again one day. Thank you for all that you are for us. We come with the empty hands of faith this morning just to take in all that you are. Would you satisfy us this morning with your steadfast love that we might rejoice and be glad all day? Oh, Jesus, don't let us love doctrine and theology more than you Don't let us be stiff and rigid with our theology, but Lord, may it give us all the feels in our heart. May we be able to say with the Belgic Confession that we believe in our hearts. We believe that you're good. We believe that you're faithful. We believe that you're merciful. We believe that you're love. Would you help us to believe it today, Lord, and not be so rigid? so that we would sing and dance and laugh and simply enjoy you today. In your name we pray. Amen.